care for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I am Kate Willett And I am Julia Clare I'm recording live from my bedroom again. Uh, you know, this is same. The listeners, yeah, the the listeners are uh, you know, getting getting the real sort of intimate behind the scenes uh, version of our lives here. You know, yeah, I'm hearing what's going on with the cats. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's clamoring to know what's going on with the cats. Um, there, it, it is crazy that we started out this podcast. With zero cats, and now between us, we have three. <laughs> really, like four, because my roommate has one. That's true. So I just have the right- one. Yeah, so the right wing chuds love to call me a cat lady because I post <laughs> pictures of my cats, and um, then they also are like very, but they're also simultaneously upset about my boyfriend because they think that my. I'm talking about like right wing uh, harassing trolls. They think that my boyfriend is gay mm-hmm. and also that he's woke. And okay. I would have to say that these two things would come as incredible news to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mind would be utterly blown by either I one mean, of those yeah, information. Absolutely. Either one of those yeah. are headline news about him for sure. Yeah. Um, would totally realign my my entire uh, conception of him as a person. Either one of those. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Did you see his video? Okay. So speaking of like, so they're, they're, they're I'll tell you like the mental connection I made here. Um, they're. Uh, their beef with him is that he, they think that he's like uh, canceling people, uh, and also it extends to me that I'm like canceling people. I've never canceled anyone, uh, but it's cancel con. Did you see this on Twitter? This is so stupid. Uh, it's Adam Carolla. Oh my uh, god, I did see this. But yeah, Dennis save Prager, it. Dave Rubin, and Ben Shapiro. It's like a convention. For men who have never made a woman come, which I guess in Dave Rubin's case is totally fair. I was trying to say something homophobic. Um, but it's just like these dudes who are like having a convention, I guess, about how they're canceled. I don't know. It's so stupid. I love that. I love the I love the anti-woke men who are just like the stupidest men on earth. <laughs> Adam Carolla really says just some real, just some bonker shit online very often. Um, and people keep retweeted, retweeting him into my timeline. So I, I had to, I had to mute him. Uh, he's, this was a, like, he's a, he's a cancer. <laughs> no, no, he, he definitely sucks, but it's like particularly upsetting for me because I grew up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I listened to K rock when I was a, a young woman, you know, 11, 12 years old. And I listened to Loveline late at night. I used to put it on the boom box and you know, no headphones or anything, but just put my ear right next to it and listen to it super quietly while my parents were sleeping. So I learned about sex from Adam Carolla no. and Dr. Drew. And uh, what I learned about sex wasn't very good. I learned that if you're a, a woman and you're horny, it's because you were molested uh, by a, 
usually a male, male relative, uh, you know, and then so that was always Dr. Drew, you know, like uh, everyone was a slut and everyone was molested. And, you know, I, I feel like Adam Carolla was actually like the more sort of uh, liberal voice on the show. Just like, I don't know, sometimes women are horny, you know, like, but, uh, you know, what's yeah, crazy? I, just, I remember Dr. Drew from only from that show celebrity rehab uh (laughs) and i always thought that he always presents himself as like really on the up and up and i'm like shocked to learn that he is a conservative chud uh oh yeah no dr drew started out like denying covid or he was he was one of those people that are like oh you know it's just the flu basically so stupid i love that for him um no but those celebrity <laughs> rehab shows are i don't know it's just like uh i watched so a shit ton of i yeah i mean i watched a shit ton of like vh1 and mtv when i was a when i was a teen and every one of those shows is super it's like oh my god i watched oh i watched flavor of love everyone in there needs extensive therapy uh <laughs> and uh, Rock of Love, which is the same basic show, except with Brett Michaels from Poison. Um, oh, yeah, I just watched so much trash. I really I'm glad I got that all out of my system because I like cannot watch reality TV now. But yeah, my I'm, roommate has been really into Drag Race. Uh, well, everyone says is, that's the good one, right? Yeah, she's so into it that she had to start getting into the international versions because she watched all the US <laughs> versions. I mean, not to be, you know, so US centric. I don't mean like yeah. the, the other ones come second, but you know, we've watched uh, anti drag race, drag race, Canada, Drag Race, Thailand. Uh, and yeah, you know, there is something fun about like. I mean, Drag Race is really the opposite of the pandemic. It's so glamorous and it's so fun. Uh, it's it's compl- it's completely escapist, you know, and you don't have to feel bad. I, I think I've been like obsessively. Well, I've been watching two things. I've been watching The Vow on HBO, which is about that. Is that the sex cult one? Yeah, it's about uh, Nexium the. The cult that I didn't even know existed uh, that included people like Allison Mack, the actress. I um, think I'm going to watch all of it like tonight after we get off so, this. So there's only four episodes out so far. But yeah, you it's so good and it is so engrossing. And it is, unfortunately, it has on multiple occasions been the, the thing that I watch right before bed. And I have had some fucked up dreams afterwards. But I've also been watching, I've been re like manically re-watching Euphoria um also on hbo this is you know hbo please sponsor us um no don't we can't we're too pure that's right i know we have quote-unquote standards i guess whatever we have morals and ethics Ugh, what a prison um yeah i've been re-watching euphoria as like an escapist thing even though that's like a it's like quite a sad show a lot of the time the makeup is so fun and i'm just like maybe i'll be like a 29 year old woman who gets really into wearing glitter i i haven't seen euphoria uh the last thing that i watched was uh i watched the new charlie kaufman movie um i'm thinking of ending things and i watched it with my boyfriend and he it was his idea but i love charlie kaufman so i was super down and so we put it on in the title. I'm thinking of ending things. You know, it sounds like it's about a suicide. I don't want to spoil it, but it's not not. But anyway, the first 
half an hour is like pretty clearly about a relationship and the woman in the car is talking about how you know she's thinking about ending her relationship and just yeah that's what, sheer... I, that's what i thought it was i thought it was about ending a relationship but also it looked so scary and i was like i can never watch it no it's really good um it's it's a it's a really really good movie but it was just so funny because just the sheer disappointment on his face when he realized it, it was going to be at least partially about a relationship and not a suicide <laughs> that's tough i don't know i'm probably gonna get canceled for being so glib obviously mental health very real concern we talk it's about it just, all the time yeah we talk about our own mental health all the time so so oh but can i tell you so my mom lives i know we talk about your dad a lot it's time to bring, bring my mom into this <laughs> yeah my dad my dad yeah we need to take a break on my dad he's uh <laughs> we don't need any more airtime on him <laughs> julia's cop dad so my mom lives in southern california uh it's a fucking disaster in yeah. california right there i moved out of california in 2017 which feels like you know, obviously there were a lot of wildfires. There's always been a lot of wildfires, but it's really accelerated in the past few years. And so my mom is, you know, she's not 70 yet, but she's she's getting close to it. And uh, she uh, has lupus and MS. So she like has not been able to go outside really for the entire pandemic so far. So she's already like inside and uh but then you know these fires are happening all over the state there's not one right by her right now but she lives like near the hills um in in la and uh so she has to like have like a bag under her bed uh with like her stuff so she can like flee immediately and then they keep cutting the power so she has like a battery operated garage opener uh, and it's like 120 degrees sometimes, or was last week, but you know it's getting to be like above 100 there. Uh, yeah, 120, I think it was, which is like definitely hotter than any temperature when I was small in Los Angeles. And it's just like a yeah, it's a it's a fucked up situation. I've I've like grounded my mom, except for she's only allowed to go out if she has to flee a, an apocalyptic fire. That's good. Uh, and it's, That's good. Yeah, it's it's so <laughs> it's so crazy right now. Here I am with the ableist language again. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm yeah. I uh, am. You know, obviously, as comedians, like a lot of, and you're from you're from there, but like, you know, a, a lot of people I know live in LA or are from. LA and you know my brother lives in California in Northern California and he and his girlfriend had to flee they went north to like Washington State or something um because the air was like black in San Mateo <laughs> from all the fires um yeah it's I'm just, just really th horrifying and it's someone said someone said this that like California is has the ability to govern itself like the kind of <laughs> powerhouse economy it is. Like if it were its own country, it'd be like the seventh largest economy in the world. And it, it doesn't. It like it's so I, I don't know. It's like I I don't know anything about the minutiae of California 
politics, but I know that everyone in L.A. that I know hates the mayor. <laughs> yeah, Eric Garcetti. Garcetti. <laughs> He's a real son of a bitch. Um, but I just am thinking about the people who moved to L.A. for like pilot season in oh January and February. They're like, I'm going to be a star. And then the world ends in just like five different ways. They're like, can I eat yet? Is, oh my is God. it going to eat now? Maybe maybe the rest of of our lives is going to be pilot season i think that's it i oh every, yeah everything's so sad gavin newsom's also not doing anything of note <laughs> yeah i i might have said this before but you know so gavin newsom a lot of people know this that he was married to kimberly galford who was like the woman that was screaming at the <laughs> screaming if you want to hear me raise my voice on that again uh at the republican national convention super creepy uh but he cheated on her with his assistant's wife i think or no wait his campaign manager's wife yeah with his campaign manager's wife uh wow and, and that was like the scandal of san francisco everyone was talking about it um and then you know in the Me Too era, he had to kind of do do the rounds and I say mean, that yeah, like, it, like it was not non consensual and what whatnot. <laughs> yeah, he keeps going, but he just keeps going. He was, you know, like what was he? He was was he mayor of San Francisco? Yeah, he was mayor of San Francisco, and, and now then he's he was governor a, of California. Yeah, and in between that, he was attorney general of California. Attorney general, yeah, and he will be president. Gavin Newsom will oh, be president. Oh God, it's just because he's handsome. We we are so bereft of good looking people in our politicians that people look at Gavin Newsom and they lose their fucking minds. <laughs> yeah, I was in an acting class with his current wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom. Oh wow! Yeah, he's yeah. he. It is. Uh, I'll I'll say it that his. Uh, you know he. His looks are distracting. <laughs> See, I don't feel like he's that hot. I mean, I think that he's you know well, he's politician hot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know it's like it's a low bar to clear. It's like how I always say that JFK was not actually hot. It's just that none of our presidents have been good looking. <laughs> oh my god do you hear that uh joe kennedy's seat went to a republican because there was like nine democrats okay. running against each other so, and now a republican is gonna take it so he fucked everybody yeah okay so massachusetts fourth district is my home district and that is the seat that joe kennedy of the third vacated and there was a nine-way democratic primary and we don't have ranked choice voting so the there were like two serious contenders for the seat running on like progressive platforms. Um, one of them was Jesse Mermel. She was a, a city councilor, in, uh, I think, or no, some, like some, 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 a local official in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, but she was running on like Medicare for all and like a pretty robot like a pretty progressive slate she was and then there was this other guy named who's not progressive named jake auschenslaus or something like that and uh they ended up having to it was again it's a nine-way primary with no rank choice voting so there were 
a few progressives who split the progressive vote and then Jesse Mermel was in second for a lot of the race. For- well, and also, uh, it's on. God, did I, am I saying her name right? Uh, Isan Leckie was running for that seat too, right? And yeah, so Isan Leckie was the uh, one of the two viable progressive candidates, in my opinion, that I was referring to. Um, I really, she was my choice. I liked her a lot. Um, but, and she was a, what was she? She was like a Wall Street regulator. Um, yeah, she was a, a Wall Street regulator. And, yeah. And, uh, just yeah seemed very cool very cool she was my choice um but i mean i'm sure she's still cool she's just she no she 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 remains cool she's not like yeah she remains cool um but yeah (laughs) so basically there were a few progressive candidates who split the progressive vote and jake auschenslaus or whatever the fuck his name is slid into first place and on election night it, it looked like it was too close to call because they had jesse mermel in second by only like by like less than a percentage point so they ended up like her campaign petitioned to have all the votes counted and they did and she still ended up losing but yeah he was a republican as recently as like 2014 wait so i think his name might be i'm looking at it right now and i think it might be auction Claus. i don't know i don't want to learn it and it's cool that you don't want to either i think it's auschenslaus and i say that and i say that as a a woman of germanic ancestry myself (laughs) but wow uh, (laughs) i'm canceled i'm toxic um but yeah anyways he was a republican like as recently as 2014 and another reason why joe kennedy doing this fucking vanity run bullshit (sighs) is so just ludicrous because i mean yeah look i hate joe kennedy after this primary but ultimately he would have been better to stay in this seat than (laughs) than this guy jake a fuck a guy named jake (laughs) that was the guy's name that's my boyfriend's name and that was also the guy's name in the charlie kaufman movie Look, I mean, I'm just going to say it. There's something going on with Jake's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I... Uh, we need to talk about say? Jake. <laughs> well, I, I think there's another reason that this Joe Kennedy nonsense, you know, is, is bad. Uh, and that's what I was finally, finally getting over uh, my bigotry towards gingers, you know? See, and now this this whole process has been set back for me. I had the opposite issue where I had a lifelong and maybe this is just a virtue of growing up where in Massachusetts where gingers abound. I have always had like a really chaotic attraction to gingers and of, you know, of any and all gender. And uh wow. Yeah, Joe Kennedy has Maybe broken the the spell for me. Maybe I'm free now. I actually love red hair. I'm just kidding about that. I, uh, yeah, I was married to a redhead, but one of my best friends has red hair. Um, I was just, just this whole thing made me think about this guy that whenever he's so he's so dumb. I'm not gonna say what it is, but you've probably seen it. Uh, basically, whenever people are like talking about 
racism, which is not funny. The only reason I laughed at that is because of what comes after it. Uh, when, whenever people are talking about racism, he like feels compelled to go online and be like, well, what about the bigotry towards the Irish? That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, he's very very concerned and it's like i don't know what is this like 1880 there is no bigotry (laughs) towards the irish you goon yeah Um, but no okay so we we do have a reply guy of the week that i want to make sure we got to and this is i don't really i didn't didn't know the full story of this so you're gonna tell it to me all right so our reply guy of the week uh is and you know as as we've we've said before reply guy can be any and all genders um and our reply guy of the week this week is none other than conservative commentator uh candace owens (laughs) okay so candace owens uh went where all good logic and uh you know, discourse go to die on the Ben Shapiro show. And she talked about how it's quote unquote, like insulting that both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden have done like sit downs with Cardi B. And she called her illiterate. Um, And she said that it's insulting to the black community and that they're just doing that to pander to the black community, both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Um, And so Candace, this this started like she posted the 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 video of her saying this on Twitter, and then it just started a real uh, a real firestorm. Uh, basically, uh, Cardi was just like she Candace is just mad because I have the number one song, um, and. She goes on about Trump supporters and how um, Trump is using Candace. And then Candace fires back at her. And she says, Cardi said that she has the number one song. She has a huge platform. She makes millions of dollars. And you have to go uh, campaign to get the man that used you, meaning Donald Trump. And she says, I don't want to argue with you, Candace. I really don't have time. I honestly just feel sorry for you. Which is just like... <laughs> oh, I love that. How uh, has Ben Shapiro involved in every serious reply guy event, at least peripherally? <laughs> I know. You know, it's, he's it's supposedly like, canceled, but he's also pervasive. He's, he's, he's everywhere. He is. There is. It's like a six degrees of separation. Which is really weird because there's only like, 63 inches of Ben Shapiro height wise, you know, as we've discussed on the show. <laughs> and yeah, and then of course Cardi said that Candace has a dry ass pussy and uh and the nation is healed. <laughs> well, boy do uh I was trying to think of a transition involving wet ass pussy. I'll just commit to it. Boy do I have a wet ass pussy because this week's episode is so good. Um, yeah. According to Ben Spiro's wife, I may have a, a medical condition. <laughs> Bacterial vaginosis. It's just, I'm, I'm dripping. I will never uh, forget that as long as I live that, oh my God, Ben Shapiro trying to explain medically why a woman would have a wet pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but this week we have Taylor Guerin of The Onion, uh, previously Reductress, and she's so funny. And we just had such a good conversation. Uh, true fans of Taylor will know that uh, she is an amazing satire writer, and her brother was in 
uh, an Ed Markey ad. So yeah. for all of you uh, Ed Markey fans out there, of which there are many. We won, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. No, Taylor's the best. She's one of my favorite people. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to say this week, uh, we just on our Patreon, we just did uh, a series on QAnon. Uh, we talked to uh, Travis View from QAnon Anonymous. And um, if you subscribe to uh, our Patreon, you can get access to our entire back catalog. Uh, we are on a regular schedule now. We're going to have new Patreon episodes coming out every Sunday. Uh, so if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon, you can uh, get a new episode every Sunday, second one of the week. And also, um, you can listen to uh, everything that we have available there. We have uh, Dave Anthony. We have another one with Josh Gondelman. There's just there's some good, good, good stuff. We, yeah. we don't so, like having so many, a paywall. So many great, so many great episodes. See you. Yeah. See you, Weaver. Jamie Loftus. Melissa Lozada. Oh, no, see, Oliva. it was on our main feed. You're yeah. right. You're right about that. Yeah. I forget. I forget. We, we, <laughs> I think we're, we're trying to make sure that the like, you know, the the critical news is always free. Um, you know, and we have some f- extra fun stuff uh, in our Patreon vault, and you know, we don't like having a paywall, but we gotta keep the show going because we will never have corporate sponsorship on reply guys uh as much as as much as i want hbo to sponsor us kate won't let me we're purity bros yeah (laughs) um all right thank you so much bye just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. We are so stoked this week to be joined by Taylor Guerin, who uh, we know from stand-up comedy and from uh, Reductress. And you recently moved over to The Onion. Um, And yeah, and we're just so stoked to have you on the show. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So... We got to start with uh, something that's really been pressing on my mind since I knew and, that we got to have you on the podcast. And, and that and is on our hearts. <laughs> yeah. Your brother was in an Ed Markey commercial. Yeah. Whole family uh, political engaged. That's, uh, that's kind of what we do. <laughs> um, yeah. He, you know, what's funny is that he was in the Ed Markey ad and I didn't notice and he didn't tell me and i saw the ed markey campaign ad being like retweeted and i was like oh shit first of all this ad is like incredible second of all like i need to i saw a friend from my hometown was also in it and i was like oh shit my friend tyler is in this video i have to retweet this and tag him and be like oh i see you tyler like haha so (laughs) as i was like formulating a tweet that i was going to you know use to quote tweet it um, I rewatched it again and my brother's in it like three seconds into the video and he straight up didn't tell me about it. And so I texted him and I was like, Bryce, is this, is that you in the video? Like, I'm not crazy. Right. And he was like, Oh no, I'm wearing the shirt that you got me for Christmas. Did you like it? <laughs> and he, I'm just like, why didn't you, why did you say anything about this? But I learned that the reason why he didn't actually say anything about it is because my mom was until very recently a Kennedy voter. And so he didn't want to like upset her. Oh, damn. Which, what switched her yeah. over in the end? Uh, literally me and my brother just yeah. like kind of talking shit, kind of talking shit to her. Um, uh, she, I called her the other day and she was like, I have to tell you something. And I was like, oh, no, who died? 
but she ended up just being like, yeah, um, you and Bryce have successfully convinced me to change my vote from Kennedy to Markey. Yeah. Um, yeah. feels good. Cause she is like a, such a Biden, a Biden bro. Is that a thing, a Biden bro? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I (laughs) think so. She was like super anti-Bernie and like not into, like she's not a leftist voter. She's like very moderate. Okay. Um, And I don't ever question the voting choices of uh, black people who live through the civil rights movement. Sure. Because they have their reasons for shit. And I, you have lived through things that I, politically that I cannot possibly fathom. Although, getting close to being to knowing kind of what that felt like in this moment yeah um and so i like never really as long as she's not voting for trump it like wasn't a huge issue to me but the idea that she has come around and realized that she's voting for my future and not necessarily her future is a big deal and i'm very proud of her but mostly i'm proud of my brother and i (laughs) yeah Yeah, because I was going to ask you, you and your brother are both leftists. So yeah. I, I was going to ask you if you were like from a, you know, a red diaper family where like the whole family was leftist. But it sounds like you and your brother kind of went in a different political direction that is similar to each other, but different from your parents. Yeah, it's a, it's so strange, though, because it's like my mom is super pro LGBTQ, like, uh, you know, super pro uh, Medicare for all, like has all these very leftist progressive opinions, but still votes for people who are not leftists, who are not necessarily leftist or progressive. And it's, I think her reasoning is because she doesn't think that it can happen. And she's like, well, Medicare for all is not going to happen in my lifetime. And I'm like, you have to fucking vote for it, for it to happen. Yeah. But- <laughs> that is such like an insidious problem. It, and it's, it's funny because when you described all the things that your mom support, like my dad supports all of those things too. Mm-hmm. And he vote. I mean, the way that he votes is all over the place. I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm finally making some headway after years of barking up that tree, but it's, I, I don't, when he and I talk about political things and he is like voicing his opinions, I'm like, okay, well then why don't you, why do you vote for people who like, actively don't want this to happen (laughs) totally it's just i don't i told i like get where she's coming from because it's like you want all these things but they feel like a pipe dream to you because you literally went to segregated schools like you you know you like grew up in a time where like the idea of a like she voted for obama and like still stands obama even though she knows my opinions on his imperialist ass but like (laughs) you the idea that you got to see a black man elected president is something that you could not possibly fathom and your parents could not fathom and like everyone you grew up with couldn't fathom so it makes sense that you are freaking out about this in a different way than i am Mm -hmm. because while it's cool there was a black person that got elected it's like uh i don't really care what color the person is that gets elected as long as they are like fighting for policies that like make poor people's lives better or make you know people of color's lives better for example and so the idea that she is voting in a way that feels safe for her and her community makes sense because she has always had to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot like, of she sense. Was, you know, she was alive during a time where black people like weren't universally allowed to vote. Yeah. So it's like, like she was already born. So I get that she is like coming from a totally different place. My parents are both coming from a totally different place than I am, but it's still frustrating. I'm like, don't you want me to have healthcare? Don't you want to have you to have healthcare? <laughs> Yeah. Do, you, do you think yeah. that oh go ahead julia oh well there's i mean on the flip side of that i think that there is this just from talking to a lot of my uh my parents friends uh i feel mm-hmm. like 
for white people of a certain generation, even if they grew up poor or working class, if they had any sort of like social economic mobility, even if they like went from poor or working class to middle class, mm-hmm. there's this reflex to like, there's like still like a scarcity mentality where they like with their reflexes to now like pull up the ladder behind them because they think Absolutely. that yeah, they think that they're like the last ones who who should be able to get any of that, which is so deeply fucked and it's something that drives it just it's made me ruin so many family gatherings. Oh, that's so hard. And I also think that that's probably not the pulling up the ladder behind her thing, but I also think the scarcity mindset is probably where my mom is coming or my parents are both coming from a little bit because it's like Okay, we we saw how the country reacted after we had a black man in the mm-hmm. in the White House for eight years, and it has gone the complete. I mean, politically, it's pretty it's pretty similar, um, but like <laughs> socially, it's gone in like a complete opposite direction. And so much of it, and I will stand by this opinion, so much of it is because white people didn't. Some white people didn't like having a black person who was in charge of them. Oh and I yeah, think that's always. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And so, as like payback for that, they're like, not only we're we gonna have a white person in the office, he's gonna be a whole ass racist, and we're all gonna show our racist asses. Yeah. And so I think my mom is like, we don't need someone who's going to be the complete opposite of that. We need to get back to like a homeostasis of at least like we have to keep white people comfortable and happy so they don't take everything away from us. Yeah. And even and you know the scarcity mindset, there is like, I mean, you know, all of these these things start with a grain of truth, like the mm-hmm. like capitalistic nightmare that we live in does create like scarcity panic when there shouldn't be any because we are a country where we have you know more than we do have like more than enough resources to go around but we've made we've made them scarce um so it's really i don't know this like i do have like empathy for those for people who have that sort of like fear-based scarcity mentality but at the same time it's like we just need to like rewire what we consider possible, I think. Totally. Yeah. I think that also our generation and even more so the generation is younger than us are like, Hey, like every generation is like, Hey, this is fucked and things need to be different. But people older than us are like, Hey, this is fucked and things need to be di- different. And Gen X is like, mm, okay. And then like, <laughs> you, you know, like that's the way it is. And then like Gen X millennials and like millennials in general, are like, yeah, things are fucked and we should like take some steps to change it. And Gen Z is like, burn the whole fucking place yeah. down. We're not doing this shit. And I yeah. think that's, I think that's great. I don't know. I think it's changing. And I think that's really cool. I've always, I've always <laughs> been afraid of the zoomers and now I know why. Sometimes they openly make fun of me on Twitter and I'm like, I deserve this. Like, thank you for me. I'm honored that you even are looking like reading what I have to say and using it to make fun of me. Thank you. I, I didn't know that you could hear me. I thought that my voice was too old and had a pitch that you couldn't hear. Yeah. It's like you stop hearing it after age 23. You know what I love? When, I love. Oh, oh no. Go, go ahead, Kate. Well, I, I, what I was going to say is. I was thinking before we had you on the show of, you know, what mm-hmm. kind what kinds of things we could talk about. And I, I was thinking about like how many different situations you're in politically where the Absolutely. people around you can not be aligned with you. And, we're, you know, we're talking about your family. But I was also thinking mm-hmm. about like our industry. You're in the comedy industry, uh, especially, you know, with some of the projects that you've worked on. 
liberal feminism is so dominant, you know, and then you know, here we are in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn left sometimes can, in, in my opinion, sometimes uh, bend towards being a little bit of class reductionist, obviously not everyone. Absolutely. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I was, I was just kind of thinking about like, well, you know, I guess I need to form a question uh, because I'm interviewing <laughs> you. But yeah, I mean, like, where? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I find, I do find myself like pulled in a couple of different directions, especially, ugh, and I was telling Julia about this the other day. I really hate talking about Twitter in real life. It feels very bleak, <laughs> uh, but here we go. Um, that, that's like so I'm much t- of our podcast. So let it rip. Oh my God. It's so bleak. <laughs> sometimes, I, sometimes I'll show a friend who's like not on Twitter. I'll be like, oh my God, look at this funny tweet. And they're like, they stare at it for a couple of seconds before they, I realize that you have to be like so internet poisoned to even get the subtext I of like know. why the joke is funny. God bless those um, people. I'm like, oh my, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys like have families and like lives. Like I'm so happy for you. Um, but yeah, I sometimes feel like, especially when the discourse happens on Twitter, I feel pulled in lots of different directions. Cause sometimes it's like, this is the leftist discourse today. And this is what we're like reducing this issue to today. And I feel very strongly in like a different direction for reasons that I feel are very valid, but it's like, I know I can't say anything because people are going to be in my mentions and I do not fucking have time for it. Like, I'm just, I don't want to explain myself. I'm trying to think of like a really good example. There was one the other day that I, I can't even remember what exactly it was. I feel like I thought about it a lot with kind of sex work, um, discourse yeah. where it's like, yes, this is like, you know, third or fourth wave feminism, like sex work is in sex work, sex workers are included and they absolutely should be. And sex workers should be able to do continue doing sex work freely and healthily and have protections and, you know, be able to do that as like a legitimate, like, I, I cannot make it clear enough that I support sex workers in all the forms. Um, but to, I think that there's a lot of like, kind of ignoring the fact that like, a lots of sex workers are like, or let's say some sex workers are forced into that situation for, uh, like either social or, um, economic reasons that are like outside of their control. And that doesn't mean that what they're doing is necessarily empowering. It's as, or as they're, like, they see it as necessarily empowering. They see it as like something that they have to do to like escape their situation. Like a means, so a means speaks- to an end. Exactly. And it's like, while they still should have the right to do that and it shouldn't, they sh- still should have the right to do that, but it shouldn't have to be like that. Like they should be able to be upwardly mobile in like different ways. And so I think that lots of the kind of sex work discourse if you even speak up and be like, oh, actually, I do feel some type of way about people who are like forced into sex work for those reasons. It's like, ah, 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 like no sex work shaming or yeah. anything like that. So it's just there's no nuance on 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 the Internet when it comes to stuff like that, especially for like uber, uber, uber leftists. Oh, totally. I com- I completely I had the I have the exact same opinion about that. And mm-hmm. also I felt I mean. I've I've felt some type of way that again that I haven't really expressed online about I think that the the people who are um you know a lot of times in any of these activist movements the people who get them who get handed the microphone are the people in that group who have like the most privilege per se like sure. so that's why like in the LGBT movement in the early days it was like cis gay white men yep and in I feel like you know, a lot of the time in uh, sex work, the people who I see being like championed and people who are given the biggest platform are cis white women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like any discourse that is like, I, I just, I, I think that there is a lot that gets overlooked when 
any when that's the kind of the composition of of the people who are who get the biggest platform. And I think, you know, we see that on the left, too. I, I think that the left is like, obviously, it's a beautiful rainbow coalition. But unfortunately, sure. <laughs> but unfortunately, some of the, the people with the biggest platforms on the left are like cis, straight, white men who mm-hmm. sometimes have opinions that are at odds. Bad with, and dumb. Bad and dumb. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I think that there's any sort of like class reductionism makes me so mad. Uh, and mm. it's and also, I mean, any sort of like. And and that's really what Twitter is. It's like trying to yeah. make essentialist arguments out of everything and like reduce everything and boil it down to to its like smallest parts. And yeah, sometimes it's like you have 280. Yeah, this is not always this is not you always going to give you characters to like had a nuanced opinion on yeah, exactly. like it's just it's simply impossible the other day i tweeted something about um how i think that people should vote for i think that people should vote for biden if they're going to vote and i also think that people should be able to criticize biden or like wh- whichever oh, yeah. candidate they're voting for um and every there were so many people in my replies being like this is unhelpful this is going to push people to like you know vote for to like not vote or to like vote for green parties or like vote you know what i, you know what I mean and i'm like First of all, how I would love a detailed explanation as to how somebody criticizing a candidate is going to make them not vote for them. It's going to make someone vote for like someone on the fence about either voting for Trump or voting for Biden vote for Trump. I would love to know how me being like, hey, Biden has like been a little bit of racist in the past. And like Kamala has like put trans people in like, you know, uh, prisons that are not with uh, in line with their gender identity um, is like going to scooch them over to Trump, who is like a flaming bag of anthropomorphic shit. Um, I would love an explanation how I still haven't gotten one. If anyone listening out there has one, feel free to DM me. Um, also, Ugh. I tweeted being like, hey, can you guys have a little bit of nuance in your reading of this? Obviously, I didn't include every detail that needs to be included for this to like make sense. And I didn't say I'm still voting for Biden because I have 280 characters. Yeah. And a couple of my black female friends were like, you're asking for nuance on Twitter. Like, you must be sick. Like, is everything okay? Do you have a fever? And I was like, that's actually a really good point. I'm totally on board with uh, not being able to win on on Twitter. But it's... <laughs> you have yeah. gotten it. You have gotten it pretty badly. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's really frustrating. I don't know, but I mean, I, I can find it frustrating in real life, too. I uh, was talking to... You know, I, I was talking to uh some friends this weekend and i i ended up kind of like getting into a debate with someone who you know was like a a huge bernie sanders supporter and Uh and he wasn't i i don't know i i want to make sure that i'm not representing his point of view in in a in an unfair way but you know basically in his mind i think was having trouble reconciling the protest movement that's happening right now with uh Mm -hmm. the with the broader leftist aims that he has been fighting for for the past while you know medicare for all and kind of like sure sure i mean to me it's you know we talk about this on the show a lot that like racism and capitalism are uh intimately connected you know and uh, there's not like a specific you know order that people have to like it's fighting for one thing fighting for medicare for all does not mean that you can't 
be, you know, fighting uh, police violence, you know, um, or fighting to defund and abolish the police. And, you know, I was just wondering, like, how do you think about that and talk about that with people as a leftist, feminist, black woman? Totally. I just feel like, like you said, like so much of blackness and, you know, femaleness for like lack of a better term and poor like poorness or like socioeconomic, I don't know, dismay are like so inextricably linked to all the other things like blackness and, you know, blackness and femaleness are like linked in ways that you can't break them up and same. And those are all, those are both linked to like economic status. And it's like to, to even consider that one person that somebody couldn't talk about one without to to consider that some person could talk about one without talking about the others is like, is it just kind of shows that you don't fundamentally understand like the ideas of those, especially in the United States. But also it's just like, I, I really, really hate and rebuke and kind of never entertain the opinion that you can't worry about more than one thing at once. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Even if you're, even if you're like, I'm looking at these protests from a specific angle of like black lives matter. It's like, okay, what also have the, what have the protesters also been doing? This protest is happening at a very specific time in our nation's history where it's like, there's also a global pandemic going on. And every single person I know who went to the protest is all, has also done at least a little tiny bit of mutual aid in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it's like with very few exceptions. And so it's like, if you, I don't think this is just like, I don't think the protests are superficial. I think that people are like really taking the time to like learn what actually being an ally for Black Lives Matter or, you know, for Black lives in general means in this moment. And in New York City right now, in a a pandemic, it means shopping for poor Black people who can't leave their house. And it means like, you know, Arthi Gallipudi just set up a a free book library at Prospect Park under um, a shelter where lots of uh, houseless people stay. And that's what it means. And it means like, you know, putting food into the free fridges that are uh, like free food fridges that are like popping up all over the place. So to think that like, there's a single protester out there who the single black lives matter protester out there who is not also at least reading about, or, you know, caring about these other things that are linked to capitalism and linked to Medicare for all and linked to doing things that the government should be doing, but they are not doing. So we are taking it upon ourselves to do is like just false. And I, I honestly can't think of one person I know who just showed up at the protest to be like, Hey, I'm protesting and like, hasn't done anything. Yeah. So even with just that small example, it's like they're, you can't pull them away from each other. And I don't think that the people who actually do give a fuck about these issues and are, and are working to change them um, actually believe that. I think that if you are of the mindset where you feel like you can't care about more than one of those things at once, either A, you're overwhelmed by caring about more than one of those things at once, which I totally understand, or B, you're not actually on the ground with those people who are making the changes and like doing these kinds of things. I could not agree more. I think I, while you were talking about it, I was kind of thinking about it the way that some people, I don't know, I'm um, going to be childless forever, but the way that some people talk about having children, it's like, mm-hmm. if you have more than one, like you, like some people are like, Oh, my, my love is going to be divided, but it actually multiplies. It doesn't so work. Like that. It doesn't work like that. So it's like you, First of all, not only are all of these ideas intertw- intertwined, but it's like, I think of it as like the amount of, the more I learn about these issues and the interconnectedness, oh, and it gets like bigger and bigger. It's just like my, mm-hmm. my rage multiplies, which is sure. um, fun for everyone. But also it's like, you, you have to look at the, the protests and the, 
in this uh, current iteration of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all of them really as inextricably linked with um, also socioeconomic issues because the, mo- the most over-policed communities are not wealthy communities. They are like... And they're not white either. Yeah. Like it's just, it's so, it's also just like <laughs> for people who... Okay, lots of the protesters are unemployed for obvious reasons right now. So, like, most, like, a good solid chunk of the people who are on the street, like, you know, trying to yell and scream and fight, are people who are of a really, really, really low socioeconomic background or low socioeconomic current because they simply have no income. So, it's literally poor people fighting for the rights of black people. Yeah. (laughs) So, and, you know, and also lots of those are poor black people who are fighting for the rights of black people. But it's like, so even to think, if we're thinking in like the most superficial of terms, it's like those are the people who are out fighting for Black Lives Matter is people who don't have any fucking money. So of course those things, their things are like linked on on their face. You know what I mean? And I think that's why, Kate, going back to a little bit what you were saying earlier, like I think the idea that those things could be taken apart from each other is why white liberal feminism drives me so fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's because, talk about like, it. Why yeah, does white liberal liter- feminism drive you crazy? Because we, we talk about <laughs> so it all many. the time, but we're both white, so... <laughs> so many reasons. It's like, okay, so... Even, let me let me start from a place of where I used to work. And I... <laughs> I, I worked at Reductress for three years. And it gave me my foot into the door of the comedy industry. So I am like eternally grateful for working there. And on its face, Reductress is supposed to be a kind of parody of white liberal feminism. Yeah. And in many ways, in many ways, it, it succeeds in that. But in some ways, it doesn't. And there were lots of times where I was like, I really don't feel comfortable publishing this headline. Or a headline would be published when I wasn't, I, I worked there two days a week. So it'd be published on a day that I wasn't working there. And I would log on and just have to log off. Like I couldn't look at it anymore. Cause I was like, Hey, this is incredibly embarrassing for me to be associated with this right now. Yeah. And B, I know I'm going to get shit for this. Like, I know that somehow this is going to like roll back onto me because if you ask, ac- if they accidentally published something that was like, you know, could be interpreted as transphobic or could be interpreted as like, you know, uh, racist or anyway. And it's like when only four people work at a company that publishes all these headlines, it's going to inevitably happen and like mistakes happen. Um, it almost always ended up with someone in my mentions or in my, in my DMS being like, how could you let this be published? And it's like, Ugh. sure. I may be the only black person that works at Reductress, but there are only four people that works at Re- that work at Reductress. So statistically I was overrepresented, frankly, but it's like <laughs> 25% also, of Reductress's staff. Was, 25% of Reductress was black. Thank you very wow. much. It just happened to all be me. Um, but it was like, I can't go through every single one of these headlines. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the stories is that there was this contributor to Reductress, and also this was a fundamental misunderstanding of how new media companies work. But we had a con- we have like thousands of contributors for Reductress who can pitch one headline once and never pitch again, or they can pitch every single week. Like they're not on staff; they're paid as like freelancers because they can write whenever they want. Right? Um, we had this one who wrote one article in like 2014 or 2013, which is when the website first started. I had no idea what it was. And she now, she at some point worked for the FBI and that somebody (laughs) found that somebody found like this woman who had worked for the FBI and also had written one article for Reductress and like tweeted about it and leftist Twitter, like lost their fucking mind being like, Oh, Reductress hires like FBI agents. Like Reductress is an op like this, this and that. And for some, and I, 
like two days later, obviously I ignored that. And then two days later, I wrote a headline that was about, um, I forget what it even was, but this leftist Twitter woman retweeted. It was like, this is a good headline, but it's hard to like, even take it seriously when Reductress hires, when, uh, the woman who works for the FBI also works for, was on staff at Reductress. And it was like, first of all, she wasn't second of all, why is my, why are you including my black ass in this? Like fucking (laughs) leave me the fuck out of this. I had nothing to do with this. And also, I don't know. It was just, it was just, uh, I don't know. Sometimes the repercussions of the site that I worked for being a white liberal feminist site and being and white liberal feminism being so easy to shit on, especially by like white dude leftists, like left me in a lurch where it's like, oh, you assume that everyone who writes for the site or run like works for the site is like a white liberal feminist. And that's not fair to someone who wrote damn fucking good headlines, if I do say so I- myself. I loved your headlines and I don't want to embarrass you too much, but I do just want to point out one of my all time, uh, favorites of yours, which was how I'm raising anti-racist children by sending them to a majority white public school. (laughs) That was, I wrote that in my last month. It just so happened that my last couple of months at Reductress were during this particular time in the nations. And I, I, don't get me wrong. I love writing headlines about cum. Like I love writing jokes about dicks and stuff as much as, as much as the next person, but I, my bread and butter was writing, was being able to just like roast white liberal feminism because it's just, it just sticks in my craw. I don't know. Yeah. What do you- no, no, no. I mean, that's, I, we talk about it all the time. It's the ripple effects, the, the repercussions of that is that it makes kind of like any female centric thing immediately suspect for a lot of people. Totally. Like yeah. people, even if it's like, even if it is a, even if there were like a reductorist that were like just a group of leftist women, I just know that there would be like people chomping at the bit to call it neoliberal in some way. Absolutely. Um, and I just, and I think the conflation of, I guess because corporate liberal feminism has been so dominant in the mm-hmm. like feminist discourse, it's just it's colored every everything about feminism writ large. So now that so now feminism is almost like it, I mean, it's just been stained by it. It's that's, there's, totally. there's no other way to put it. It's just like feminism for certain people. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, I think that's where I kind of like, well, I have a lot of issues with it, but my main one is that there are lots of white women who see feminism as their main thing because they don't have to worry about other things. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to worry about poor people because I will never be, I've never been and I will never be poor, but I am a woman and I will always be a woman. So let me worry about feminism, but it's not even feminism in the, ter- in terms of like uh black, mat- black maternal mortality or like feminism when it comes to sex workers and stuff like that. It's like, LOL, I want Elizabeth Warren to get elected, yeah. you know, which is fine. But if, if, if that's like the extent of it, it's just like, you have to be, cognizant of that there's like this i saw a video today on twitter um again (laughs) and okay sorry this is the main point that i was going to make just now is that there are lots of white women who think that their experience is the universal experience of like being a woman yes where it's like i'm a black woman and my blackness will never be separated from that and i will never experience the world like a white woman experiences the world because i do not present as a white woman and i never will but so like even those like character videos that people post on Twitter where they're like, I'm a woman who's like doing this. And it's like, you are very, very obviously viewing this from the perspective that like, this is something that all women can relate to because I have never experienced this. And also you, 
not that you should have to say like, oh, only a woman who is of specifically this race, like experiencing this, but it's like, you have to recognize that this won't be funny to a large swath of the population because it is not an experience that they like have. And specifically my, my, uh, irritation from that comes with, and I wrote an article about this, um, like the blonde versus brunette thing where it's yeah. like, oh, I love this, which is so not political and so stupid, but it's like, <laughs> oh, I like, like, I'm a brunette woman. Do like brunette women do this and blonde women do this. And it's like, I know you're only talking about like white brunette woman and white blonde woman. And I am a brunette, but you would never be referring to me in this. And I yeah. would never have this experience. So like, let's, and you don't recognize that. I'm like, that's okay. You know, but obviously that's a very superficial uh, reason to be upset about things, but it's just like, well, yeah, to that, to that point, there are, I mean, the kind of white liberal feminist who uh, just has kind of latched on to that kind of feminism as their identity, it's like they, I, I feel like their struggle, their like quote unquote struggle ends the minute like, a woman becomes president or something like that. That is exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so much of it was like, oh my God. I remember somebody, I forget who it was, tweeted like uh, during the primaries, they tweeted, vote like your foremothers are watching. And it's like, I get what they were saying. They were a white woman and they were saying, vote like you're the white woman who fought for you to be able to vote. We're watching you vote. So like vote for a woman is what they were saying. However, my foremothers were breastfeeding your foremothers. Yeah. So little doesn't mm-hmm. track for me. Also, like, my foremothers weren't allowed to vote. And specifically, suffragettes made sure that they were not allowed to vote (laughs) because they were black women. Um, Also, like, what does having a woman imperialist in the house, in the White House do? I got blocked by one of my favorite people who I considered a really good friend on Twitter because uh, the day that Biden announced that he was picking Kamala Harris as his VP, I tweeted a tweet that wasn't even specific to Kamala, but it just said, uh, more women of color uh, war criminals. <laughs> yeah. and can we, can we get some brunettes in there as well? That's how I feel about more it. Brunette, woman of color, war criminal. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just like, I don't know. They were just like, how is this helping? Like, what are you doing? And like, what, like, can't you just be happy that there's a woman of color who is like in, in en route to perhaps being like in the second highest office in the country. And I'm like, sure. Okay. But she's not like a fun one. I'm never going to stand a politician. Like there's never going to be a chance in my life where I'm standing a politician because they're all, you have to be, at least in the United States, you have to be a little bit of a shitty person to want to be the oh, president. Yeah. And so why would I stand you? Like it makes no, I don't, I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're a purple, green, polka dot. <laughs> that's that's, that's, a, the, that's uh, the favored that, line yeah yeah that's the quote that we're gonna pull out for the teaser of the episode just <laughs> this is i don't care if you're purple green yeah. polka dot, um, woman of color if you're an imperialist we don't stay i i you used know to, I, I used to be like that too that's that's like part of the reason why i have i have such like vitriol for this kind of feminism is because i used to i mean not exactly the like not exactly like all of the worst parts of it, I guess, but there was sure. like a lot of that thinking. Like I, in definitely like 2015, I was like just blinded by the idea of a woman being president. And sure. it makes me so angry. And I'm obviously I'm glad that I know better now, but I just like, I think that's part of the reason why it enrages me so much because maybe I'm just like, people should know better by now after all that's happened. Yeah. There's been a lot of mm. discussion. I mean, Here's the thing that I think about. I mean, because 
you know, liberals are extremely focused on representation. And that is not something that I think is, I mean, I think that that's important. I think that the people who dismiss that entirely, like, no, we can't be governed by all white men. Like if, if it's not, if it's not, uh, maybe the cause of the problems that we have, it's definitely a symptom of the problem. So I, you know, to dismiss it entirely is, is fucked up. It's Um, just whack. It's the same reason why we need representation in like TV writers rooms and people are like yeah. so up in arms about yeah. that it's like if we only have the perspective of one type of person then we're just going to be watching the same shit all the time right but the thing about it and i think that that's you know kind of a, a great example because i think that a lot of the loudest voices on twitter are literally tv writers and see mm-hmm. uh, a, a kind of one for one relationship between like wanting representation in a writer's room and wanting representation in politics. But politics has this other ingredient where, you know, it's not just about representation. It's also going to be about, you know, the policies that that person wants to enact and who they're going to affect. Like Kamala like Harris that has consequence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Kamala Harris, it's it's not like it's impossible to to look at Kamala Harris and, and say, you know, what effect will this have on women of color uh, if she's elected without looking at the policies that she supports? And, you know, I find that liberal feminists a lot of the time, you know, kind of kind of stop just at um, representation because they're assuming a one for one relationship of like, if this person is a woman of color, she's automatically going to support women of color and, and what will be best, you know, um, is that, even though historically she straight up did not support women of color, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you talk to, I mean, you're, you know, you're in a career where you're like surrounded by people who, uh, I think, you know, really have this mindset and, you know, also maybe a lot of times really good intentions are coming from a good place. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you talk to people about that? I think it's really difficult to talk to people, especially ones who are coming from a good place for two reasons. One is because you don't want them to stop coming from that good place, even though you critiquing them coming from that good place should not should do the opposite. Yeah. It shouldn't want it, like they shouldn't stamp their foot and be like, "Well, I tried." Like if you don't, if I'm going to be critiqued about this, and I'm just going to go back to the old ways of doing things, but that is a way that people tend to think a lot. Um, and the other reason is that, like, I feel like you. It's a tricky tightrope to walk as somebody who wants to work in this industry, but also wants to be perceived as the person who has these opinions that I am. And it's like, sure, it's really nice that well nice is the wrong word, but you know, the, the new wave of black lives matter protests started and it took a black man being viciously fucking murdered by the police for, uh, agents to reach out to me, you Mm -hmm. know, or for, you know, uh, people to want to read my pilot or for, uh, you know, for me to get a couple of like generals and that's great. It has led to absolutely nothing. (laughs) And I think that it's like, so, so performative that, you're like, obviously it's coming from a good place where it's like, wow, I didn't even have a minute. I I never in my life of writing in writer's rooms realized that I was only in white writer's rooms. Now that is being called to my attention. Now that black people are like being paid attention to in this country, I have realized that. And so I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that I'm doing everything in my power to help black people in my industry. I think that's great. But it's like, if there's no, if there's no follow through, it doesn't mean anything. It was just performative and it was just for you. Like, who are you really doing it for? You were doing it to look a certain type of way as opposed to actually helping people. Um, and two, it's like, 
that's great to do in your industry. And I think that we, everybody should be working in their industry to make them, to not only make rep to not only have representation, but to have like on the lowest levels, but to have it on higher levels as well, because uh, at least in terms of comedy writing or like television writing, uh, entry level, like assistant and staff jobs being all, you know, where the people of color are going is cute, but it's not changing the industry at large because the people who are in charge are still wealthy white people mm -hmm. who are going to hire wealthy white people as a rule, um, unless they're trying to like make themselves look better, but I'll, sorry, I get a little, uh, passionate about this particular no, issue. No, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a conversation that we, I feel like in comedy, we have every few years we, or we yeah. have been having every few years now. Mm -hmm. And it's just so easily dismissed mostly by white guys, I guess, like people, yeah. people who it's dismissed pe and, or just like falls off, you know, yeah. it's like, and you know, it's like people who already have these like really big established careers. It's extremely easy for them to be like, well, like funny is funny. The cream rises to the top, all this bullshit, like this meritocracy bullshit when every a part of the, and no part of the entertainment industry is a meritocracy and no absolutely not um def like <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> i mean i can't i can't imagine i cannot imagine no. i don't know what that well, would look like i think jeff dunham rose to where he is because <laughs> yeah i mean how can we really say it's not a meritocracy yeah oh my god the blue collar comedy I tour is scripture <laughs> if you if you think that we should have people of color in higher places in the comedy industry you might be i don't, I don't know where that was going um but kate to answer your question i guess in this if in this specific specific context it is really difficult to have these conversations because i do want to work and so even if people are like hey taylor here we're gonna throw you a bone for being like a black comedy writer a damn good one if i do say so myself yeah um, we're gonna throw you a bone for being a black comedy writer and then like nothing happens it's really difficult for me in my current place in my career for me to get on twitter or get on my soap whatever soapbox i have and be like oh super cool that everyone who said they were gonna like that help me out help me out for exactly like a month and a half until the protest stopped being on the news and now they're like going back to like their comfrey their comfrey ivory towers because that's how you don't get your packets looked at and that's yeah. how you like you don't get you know you don't get wrapped or like if you cause trouble when you're not even in a place to when you're not even in a place where you're like in high demand in the industry then like what are you gonna do when you're in high demand in the mm -hmm. industry yeah and so i feel i feel very like i don't have the space to have those conversations unless they're like very 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 vague subtweets on you know on twitter or uh on my close friend story on instagram mm -hmm. i love the subtweet um taylor i could i could talk to you about this stuff for i know never. i could keep going i'm really yeah, excited i i love talking about this stuff and i i get so frustrated by the how clipped these discussions have to be and how um, obviously, because a lot of them are happening on social media. And I just think that, like, at the end of the day, a lot of people just don't want to talk about this stuff because they it don't. It still makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I get it. But it's like, I don't know. I also feel I also feel sometimes when I say when I make these points, it's like these points have been made over and over and over. I'm not yeah. saying anything new, but it's like, if you feel uncomfortable talking about race? I don't know if you feel like living about race. Yeah, exactly. Day, you know, but it's just like. Uh, who can I say that to 
So it's the same conversation about awareness where they're like, we're sharing videos of black people being killed because we need to raise awareness. And it's like, <laughs> people fucking know we don't need to raise awareness. Yeah. People know what representation means. People know why there needs to be more diversity and like, and like, you know, people know why identity matters or doesn't matter. People know why having a president with leftist values is important to poor people and black people and all these, you know, to most minorities. And if they don't know, then they're actively not paying attention, you know? Um, totally. And I just, I, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating. <laughs> also, it's like, just, I guess, just to put a pin in the, the conversation that we were having earlier, mm-hmm. I think that any, any kind of, first of all, I, I think that the, the word intersectionality is like one mm-hmm. of those words that was like, uh, has just been kind of like bastardized and absolutely uh, just it leaked out of academia and then it made its way to Twitter and now it's meaningless. Yeah. Now it's meaningless. And it's also been, it's, it's just like a buzzword that is kind of used, uh, in, in a lot of like liberal feminist spaces, but just kind of as like, we're saying intersectionality, so you can't be mad at us. And yeah, like we know what that means. Yeah. But <laughs> and I really it never f- includes class at all. Right. Yeah. No, right. absolutely yeah. not. Right. Basically to them, intersectionality means a light skinned black woman with a white husband. Yeah. That's Kamala Harris. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. That's oh, why that's... I love her so much. I get it. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I really think that like at its core, like intersectionality is something that we should be kind of encouraging in every part of leftist discussion because everything, everything does intersect and it's like, because it applies, it applies. (laughs) And, um, and I think that like, you know, I, I think back to people who, you know, who think that again, who think that like the black lives matter protests are kind of somehow like, uh, unrelated to larger, uh, like anti-capitalist goals or larger socialist goals. And it's just, it's lunacy to me because it's like, that's, and also it's like, how are we ever going to create the kind of coalition we need to make real change in this country, direct action or otherwise, or like electoral, if we don't have like, I mean, we need like multiracial class solidarity. And that's mm-hmm. like, again, so many of these, yeah, it, that that kind of again, class reductionism makes me uh, makes me cuckoo. And uh, yeah, if I talk to like nine out of ten like leftist white guys, they're gonna say that class reductionism is not even a thing, right? So it's it can be frustrating, right? Um, but yeah, to say the know, least. I, I understand, <laughs> like I understand how even well intentioned people get there because especially since twenty sixteen, identity has been so weaponized to the point that you hear people say things like it's racist to want medicare for all and just these wild ass takes you know where it's like anything that has anything to do with class because it's not specifically based in identity like the kind of the neoliberal establishment will like cynically put forth these takes like yeah breaking up the big banks isn't going to end racism and you know it can be infuriating so i understand why people want to bring it back to class but at the same time there really is really is no way around uh seeing how interconnected everything is which is something that the people leading um the abolition movement you know talk about all the time you know mostly black socialist feminists yeah 
Well, it's because literally the the foundations of the current economy in this country were started during fucking the Atlantic slave trade. Yeah. <laughs> during like slavery in this country. And the foundation of like policing in jails was also started just after slavery ended as like a new way to like police black people. Or, like, you know, have control over, like, the black people in this country. So the idea that, like, even they're at, at their... It's never been separated from that. At its core, they are all super related. Well, so the idea yeah. that people can even, I don't know, extrapolate those things is, is just silly to me. Mass, inco- mass incarceration came right on the back of the civil rights movement. And yeah, absolutely. And the uh, enfranchisement of, of uh, black voters. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all... I, I obviously like, I'm not going to get any disagreement from, from either of you, but like, (laughs) even when I see like, it's just like mainstream Democrats fetishizing the founding fathers, I'm like, why? Like, it's just yucky. No, none of them are good. I like, no. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that fetishization is coming from the fact that they were, uh, you know, good rappers um which is what that's i learned from point. hamilton yeah and you a know. couple of them were puerto rican that's true yeah. so, can't forget about that and that's intersectionality bitches <laughs> <laughs> um so taylor where can people find you and your writing um you can find my writing all over reductors.com the new yorker vulture i do a weekly uh right it used to be an article but now it's a live stream every friday at 1 p.m eastern on Vulture's Instagram Live. I talk to a new funny person every week. They're a lot of fun. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Taylor Garen and on Instagram at, at Taylor Garen. And yes, my brother is single and he is six foot one. So if you are local to the southeastern Massachusetts area, uh, send me a DM and I'll hook okay. you up. How old is he? Yeah. <laughs> 30, 32. Oh, okay. <laughs> Julia, Julia's we'll chat. We'll chat. Yeah, okay. um, I'm, yeah. I, I've heard I'm, from the uh, Ken- <laughs> yeah. I've heard from the Kennedy campaign. These Marky Bros are are pretty vicious. So hopefully your brother <laughs> is not part of that online harassment of Joe Kennedy. But absolutely yeah. not. He doesn't no. even have a Twitter. He's he just got a new pair of roller skates. He's just he's he's living a, oh the my dream. God. He's a special education teacher. I can't talk about <gasps> him enough. He's the best. Oh know, my God. <laughs> okay. I, well, I need to end this episode before I become overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Julie is getting Thank a thirsty so on main. It's been a pleasure, Taylor. Thank you so much for coming on Thanks the show. Thanks so much, Taylor. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.